0: The Children's Church go, I can't, I can't tell. Those, those going to Children's Church can be dismissed. Is somebody actually leading Children's Church? Should they do that? Okay, <laughs> then, they, then they can go. <laughs> so. <laughs> so this uh, week I, uh, I tried to uh, figure out the origin of the term sucker punch. Uh, I didn't have much luck. I uh, I, I did find out. Uh, I, I, no one seems to know where or when it was uh, coined, but it has been around for uh, since at least 1929. There's record of it being used back then. And, and in case you are not familiar with the term, a sucker punch is defined as a punch made without warning or while the recipient is distracted, allowing no time for preparation or defense on the part of the recipient. Okay, that's a sucker punch. Uh, A rather famous or infamous example of this took place in a football locker room with the New York Jets here just a couple of years ago. Their starting quarterback was a guy named Geno Smith. And uh, in the locker room, one of his teammates uh, went up to him uh, saying that Gino owed him $600. And Gino's like, no, I don't owe you any money. And he turned to look back at his locker, and this guy just wound up and nailed him right in the face, broke his jaw, and, uh, and uh, put him on uh, injured reserve for the year. I mean, ruined his entire season. And that's, That is a sucker punch. Uh, uh, it comes out of nowhere and usually brings a great deal of pain and difficulty. So is it any... Wonder then that the term sucker punch has been used metaphorically to describe the bad things that happen to us in life. I mean, it's what you feel when you get that dreaded phone call or news. And the truth is, sometimes even when the news is expected, it can still feel like a punch in the stomach because. It's bad, and it hurts. And when bad stuff happens, the most normal, common, natural response is for people to question why. Seems like almost every time I've done this uh, series of sermons by request, I have gotten something related to this question. This time, the person wrote, Why does God let bad things happen, especially to children? So, we're going to be looking at different passages in Scripture, but uh, I thought I would use one particular passage out of Romans as our basis uh, for looking at this question. So, grab your Bibles, open up to uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, If you're ever just a little bit discouraged or down, Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter just to read from start to finish. I guarantee you uh, that it will encourage you and pick you up. But we've got this little section starting in verse 18 through 25 that we're going to look at this morning. Follow along as I read it out loud. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Would you bow with me? Father God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to sing your praises, to worship in fellowship uh, and the relationships that you've given us. God, our desire is to grow in our relationship with you and with one another as we walk in this world. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning, that you would use um, my words, but that nothing I would say would hinder the message that you would want to implant in each person's heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the problem of of pain and suffering, I I suspect, is is like the number one issue that tends to create a barrier between people and God. And it is obviously one of the, the favorites of skeptics and atheists uh, to use against uh, Christians and against the idea of god they'll they will say that hey if there 's this supposed all powerful loving God, then why do such terrible things happen, especially to kids, to the innocent, to the vulnerable why Why do children starve to death while corrupt government officials line their pockets with all the money that was given for aid to that country? Why uh, does God allow a little girl to be raped or a little boy to be lured into the clutches of some man's hands for his own sexual gratification? Why does God let a college girl Die in a car wreck on her way home for Thanksgiving or a mother of small children to get cancer or this good and godly family man to drown because he jumps in the river to try to save a drunk who fell in. Why, why does that kind of stuff happen? And the cynic and the atheist, they like to use this whole problem of pain and suffering and these, these types of questions to to question the very existence of God. I mean, they would use the argument that, hey, we, we as, uh, if you're a parent, you know, as, as a loving parent, uh, wouldn't you do everything in your power to protect your child, uh, uh, to stop evil and hurt and pain from happening to them if you could do it? So, so the fact that that doesn't happen in this world, well, then that must prove that either God really isn't loving, that he doesn't care what happens to you or that he's not powerful enough to do anything about it. I mean, since bad things happen, he must be a weak and impotent God. Why? Why would a loving, powerful God allow so much pain and suffering? And, and unfortunately, uh, if you've ever been in that situation, you've had somebody kind of confronting you with those kind of questions or you've seen that before, so often Christians kind of get caught flat-footed in, in situations like that and they uh, m- kind of mumble and stumble and don't know what to say and maybe shrug their shoulders and say, well, I, I don't know, we just, we just need to trust God, which usually isn't a very satisfying answer to the person asking that question. But beyond even that, sometimes as believers, we even struggle with that question. Oftentimes, we're the ones asking that question, why? Right? Sometimes it, it might be in the face of some terrible tragedy in this world that, that uh, just really strikes us. Maybe it was the last hurricane, and you read that 70,000 people are left homeless in the Bahamas, and, and you're wondering, man, why? of that great destruction, or or, or you hear the latest reports of, of all the young girls that are abducted and sold into sex slavery, and it just breaks your heart, and you're saying, why? Why would God allow that? But even more frequently, we ask that why question when something bad happens to us when the doctor brings that bad diagnosis to you or someone in your family that you love, when your job is the one that gets cut, when your house is the one that is damaged or destroyed by fire or or flood or other disaster, when your heart is the one that's been stomped on and betrayed, And then we cry out, why? And part of of the problem of this this whole subject is is it's so emotional. It it hits us right at the core of of where we live. And and the reason it's so emotional is because if we believe what the Bible says about God, that He is loving and that He is all-powerful, then we understand that He could do something to stop it but he doesn't, right? I mean, if someone asked you, well, who, who could make this world different than the way it is? Who could guarantee that life would be pain-free and good for everyone all the time, right? Who could do that? We know the answer is God, right? God could do that. So then, why does a loving, and all-powerful God allow bad things to happen? And I want you to know there is a biblical answer to that question. In fact, there's two of them. Unfortunately, most people don't like the first answer, and there's often a, quite a bit of confusion concerning the second answer. See, the first answer is this, God allows suffering, pain. He allows bad stuff to happen because He is simply giving us what we asked for. And the second answer is God allows suffering because He wants us to love Him. Let's take a look at these two answers. The world experiences, and and therefore, of course, we experience bad things because we are getting what we asked for. Okay? Do do you remember the, the the account of Adam and Eve, right? God created a perfect paradise for them. They had absolutely everything they needed handed right to them. This is the one and only time in the entire history of the world where socialism worked. Okay, uh, That's it. Uh, they had everything they needed for free. Of course uh, they were expected to do their work as all. God gave them the job of cultivating the garden to do that. And, and you know what? Things couldn't have been better for them. But you You know what happened, right? They ate that forbidden fruit. And in taking the fruit, they were saying that they believed that they had a better way than what God had declared. They could ignore God's command and forget about the things that God had given them. Instead, they would strike out on their own, right? They would be masters of their own fate, captain of their own destiny, doing their own thing. They believed that they could do life apart from God, or at least maybe uh, as equals with God, because that was the lie that they bought, right? That you take this forbidden fruit and you will become like God, Satan, Satan sold them a bridge, a bridge to nowhere. And they bought into the notion that there was something better, something more valuable in this life than a good and right relationship with God. Good. They thought that there was something other than God that would make them happier, that would give them more fulfillment, greater satisfaction in life. And this current world system, with all of its faults and failures and pain and suffering and brokenness, is the result of that choice. Back in our passage in Romans that we started with, the Apostle Paul described it this way. He says, it's the sufferings of this present time. That's just a pretty good way to describe life on earth, isn't it? Suffering comes about because the whole creation is now under the curse of sin. That's, that's what's referred to in verse 22 when it says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And see, the earth's groanings show up in the forms of floods and famines and in tornadoes and earthquakes and mudslides and all manner of natural disasters. And these are all equal opportunity uh, calamities, aren't they? Bringing destruction to both the righteous and the unrighteous alike. But beyond that, the sufferings of this present time are also seen in the effects of sin. People say and do evil things, whether that evil is murder and rape or lying and gossiping. And sometimes these things are done maliciously with wicked intent to hurt sometimes they're simply done selfishly with no thought to the consequences of others or even themselves and sometimes they're even done unintentionally but whatever the case these evil deeds produce untold heartache and pain so, so the broken world with all of its hurt and suffering is God giving to us what we asked for. We, we wanted our own way. We wanted our autonomy. We sought that and the consequences that come with us, and God gave exactly that to us. Now maybe, maybe you're thinking you know, to yourself right now, that wasn't me that, you know, I, yeah, Adam and Eve did that, but I don't recall asking for all this pain and suffering. I mean, that wasn't what I wanted, but the truth is, their story is our story, isn't it? I mean, haven't, haven't we all said in our heart at one point or another that we don't need God? God, I... I, I can handle this on my own. I, I, I don't really need you here. As far as, you know, doing things your way, I, I saw that, but thanks, but no thanks. I've got a good plan here. I've got my life figured out. I know what I want to do, and, and yeah, you might have said this, but here's what I want to do. And in doing that, the, the reality is we are rejecting God in His ways just like Adam and Eve did. We may not, you know, consciously think through it or verbalize that type of thing, but we're saying the same things they said. We believe that we've found something more, something better, something that is greater than what God has given us in Himself. We think we've found a path that will bring us more happiness and greater fulfillment than this good and right relationship with Him. And so we do our own thing. We reach out and take the forbidden fruit and eat. And again, what is God's response when we do that? What does God do? He allows us to do that. He lets people go their own way. And and the result of people going their own way is a whole lot of pain and suffering. Every hurtful, sinful act and the pain that it brings to, to the person doing the sinful act as well as to all the people impacted and touched by that sinful act is a result of men and women choosing their own way this pain is God giving us exactly what we've asked for in wanting to do our own thing that's the first answer to why there's so much pain and suffering in the world people don't usually like that answer The second answer is this. There's a lot of pain and suffering because God wants us to love Him. Maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, that that doesn't make sense. That's that's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, if you want someone to love you, don't you do nice things for them? You you, you treat them well. You show them respect. You bring them flowers or warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. If you want somebody to love you, right, you, you, you treat them nice. You would do everything within your power to protect them and shield them from, from harm and evil. Isn't that how you get somebody to love you? So why would God, who could do all those things, why would he continue to allow? How, how is it that allowing bad things to happen is a result of God wanting us to love Him? And the answer is in the nature of what real love is. See, for, for love to be true, for it to be real, it has to be freely and spontaneously given. Right? A forced Response apart from the desires that come from deep within your heart is not real love. An automatic response is not real love. The, the classic example, that could be a robot, right? You, you, could, you could program a robot to say and do nothing but loving things uh, towards you. But does that mean that that robot actually loves you? course not. It's simply following its programming. God could have programmed us as humans to always respond in that particular way, but programming is not love. And He desired a mutual, loving relationship with us. So He didn't program us like robots. He also doesn't force us, giving us no choice. One summer while I was in college, I worked at the YMCA up in, uh, in Rapid City, and, and I worked with a guy who was just a couple years older than me. He had already graduated uh, from college, and we weren't exactly friends. Uh, we, you know, we didn't hang out together outside of work, but we really enjoyed each other and got to know each other pretty well inside the job because we were both working with the youth department there at, at the YMCA. And the and the year we worked together that summer, and I went back to college. And that next uh, spring, when I came home, I I, I ho- heard a horrible but but true story uh, about him. Seems that he had begun dating a, a young girl who was only a sophomore in high school at the time, and I don't know how long they had been dating, but her parents became kind of uneasy with this relationship since she was so young and he was so much older than her at the time. And so they told her, you're going to have to break up. Uh, we don't want you to see him or have any contact with him anymore. A- and um, and uh, she w- agreed to that because she was having some uh, uneasiness too with his strong possessiveness and other things like this. And so she broke up with him. Uh, but he didn't take it very well. And a short time uh, later, he he ended up getting a hold of her again, and they began to secretly communicate back and forth with each other behind her parents' back, which was harder to do back in those days before cell phones were around and stuff. They had had to work at that, and they did. And and one time he convinced her uh, that... uh, they should get together and, and, and meet up. And so she, one evening, told her parents she was going to go out for a walk. And a couple blocks later, he picked her up in his car. And he drove her out to uh, a lonely spot out in the, the Black Hills there so they could talk. And... Uh, he began to desperately hound her with how much he loved her and, and, and how they should be together and wanted to be back uh, together. And she kept saying, no, uh, it, it could never work. She couldn't do that. She wouldn't do that. And he tried all kinds of different tactics, you know, well, we could just kind of keep secret meeting until, you know, you turn 18 and then, then your parents can't stop you from getting married or, or we could run away or we could, you know, he it's doing all these things. And she was saying, no. No, it would never work. And, and as she kept uh, telling him no, he'd get angrier and angrier until she began to get a little bit scared. But that uh, small bit of scared leaped right up to terrified when he pulled out a gun and pointed it at her. And holding that gun at her head, he demanded that she say that she loves him. And so with trembling voice she said the words I love you but was that real? Did she actually truly love him? Obviously the, the emphatic answer is no to that right? And God he could have forced us to love, to say we love Him as well. He could have figuratively held a gun to our head, giving us no choice. This is what we had to do, but that would not be a truly loving relationship. See, for love to be real, it has to be freely given as an act of your own will, your own volition, from the depths of your heart. Otherwise, it's not love. So that means in order for there to be a loving relationship, in order for us to love God, He had to give us a choice. We had to have the freedom to be able to say, yes, God, I love you. Which means we also had to have the freedom to say no, to choose to go our own way, to select the forbidden fruit instead of God. And because God wanted us to love Him, He gave us that choice. And we chose poorly. And the result has been horrific pain and suffering ever since not only for adults but for children as well for the innocent for the vulnerable for the weakest and they're all hurt because of the choice of sin And that would be a tragic story if that is where it ended But thankfully, it does not. You see, God loved us so deeply and so intensely that He he desired that love relationship with us so much that He would not allow the story to end at that point. Even though He would have been perfectly justified and righteous in in leaving us to suffer the consequences uh, of, of our own choices, He chose to offer redemption. Redemption from the pain of our own sinful devices and redemption from the hurt and suffering caused by others that they inflict in their sin. In love, God determined to restore that which was broken. I don't know about you, but I've heard people sarcastically ask, well, if God is so loving and and all-powerful, well, then why didn't He create a better world? And the answer is, he did. He did. But as we've seen, that wonderful world was broken and subject to the harmful effects of the curse that sin brought. But see, God, He's not letting the story in there. He's not going to allow His good creation, which from the very beginning He declared to be very good, He's not going to allow it to stay broken. Again, perhaps you're familiar with with the account of creation in the first chapter of Genesis. When it was all completed, we read, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In the Hebrew, that word good can literally be translated as pleasant or excellent. And the word very, the Hebrew word for very, is, is, is an incredibly strong word and better translated as exceedingly. So God looked at His creation, and it was exceedingly pleasant, or exceedingly excellent is the actual literal thing. Exceedingly excellent. And, and, and uh, He has a plan to return His creation to that state of excellence. Th- this world full of, of disease and disasters and calamity will one day be renewed to operate exceedingly pleasant right? every day will be a glorious day with no threat of famine or earthquake or storms that destroy but even more precious to God than the dirt and trees and mountains that he made is the pinnacle of his creation which he says is you mankind and he has a plan to redeem and restore mankind as well And that plan cost him everything as Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross and sacrificed himself to pay the debt that we had incurred for going our own way, for our sinful choices so that we could be forgiven and saved. Romans 6.23 puts it this way, for the wages of sin is death. That's the result, that's the consequence, that's the suffering and pain. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for all those who, who accept His salvation, then we look forward to something far, far better than what we experience now. now that's the, the, the meaning of Romans 8.18, right? When we looked at that, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Two big important parts of that verse, right? The suffering of this present, present time. That's, that's what we can expect. Now, becoming a Christian does not shield you or give you a free pass on suffering. If anybody tells you, hey, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved, they're lying to you. That's not what the Bible says. Now, it does say we have incredible resources in God, but understand, Jesus himself said we can count on suffering, right? He he said, in this world, you have tribulation. he's, He's letting his followers know point blank. This is the way it is. But the promise is that the suffering of this present time will not hold a candle to the glory that is waiting for us. And, and we get bits and pieces of what that glory that is waiting for us is like. It's described for us in multiple places all over the Bible, and we don't have time to, to really delve into that this morning. But what we do know is that this whole earth will be recreated to a, a, a new earth, that it will be the way God originally designed it to be perfect, and whole, full of goodness. We know that our bodies will be new, fully healed, made, our souls will be cleansed, our spirits wholly uh, righteous, right? The Apostle Peter kind of described that moment for us this way, but it says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So what's that mean for us then as we live in a world where there's suffering? I, I think whenever we see suffering or experience it ourselves, it should cause two thoughts to come into our mind. And the first is a reminder. And that is that that being the the suffering, whatever it is, whatever is bringing the pain and the hurt, remember, that's why we need Jesus. When when you see, when you experience, when you are overwhelmed with that suffering, just make it remind you in your mind, that's why we need Jesus. Only Jesus can redeem what was broken. Only Jesus can take the shattered life and make it whole. Only Jesus can bring healing where there has been hurt through the suffering. So we need Jesus. The second thought that should come to our mind is that the sufferings of this life cannot and will not define us because we are destined for something so much more. There is a better world coming. Remember our passage in Romans 8, the verse is how it ended? For in hope, for in hope, we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere with perseverance. We wait eagerly for it. We have a hope. You see, if your expectation is that somehow... Life is supposed to be a bed of roses down here and good and smooth sailing. You're going to be sorely disappointed. Suffering is is part of what God says will happen in this world. But suffering that is not redeemed turns into anger and turns into bitterness. So we take our suffering to Jesus Christ. And if instead we have the expectation that, yes, Lord, I know that down here there's going to be some rough times. But God, you will be with me. And you will carry me through to a glorious, indescribable future that will make all of this pain that I'm going through right now be meaningless. Well, then that, that gives us a whole new perspective. Helps us have the mindset and the view of how to continue to endure and persevere and actually joyfully overcome what we're going through right now. I, I, I didn't turn in verses to Stephanie, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the po- Apostle Paul said, For momentary light affliction, remember how much he suffered, he described it momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison but the next verse is really important because it says it's your perspective that makes it work while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary everything you're experiencing everything you're going through right now what you're seeing right now is temporary For the things which are not seen, the promise which God has for us is eternal. That's the perspective that helps us overcome suffering. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the fact that your word speaks to the issues of this life, even the hard issues. And God, yes, we would like a world That is pain-free. Where everything is good. And we're so thankful that that's the promise that you have waiting for those who have put their faith and their trust in you. So God, as we endure and we work through this world, help us keep our focus on that which is to come. A new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.